Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. Jesus tells his opponents, you search the scriptures because therein you suppose to find eternal life. These are those that testify of me. And he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures testifying of him. How did Jesus read the Old Testament? He read it as a series of predictions and patterns and even the revelation of his presence in the Old Testament for his incarnation. And that's how we should read it as well. Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's time to start a new series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. He's professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. He's co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. Dr. Lessing, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. How would you respond to the assertion that the Old Testament is it's difficult, it's too detailed, it's really not very practical? <laughs> yeah, so it is difficult. There's no doubt about that. And in some places, I think most of our listeners know, it may appear to be too detailed, especially the genealogies. And sometimes, obviously, if you're stuck in the book of Leviticus, you might not think it's very practical. So that's a very realistic and common response to the Christian scriptures called uh, the Old Testament from Genesis through Malachi. Having acknowledged all of that, it's not overly difficult. It's not overly detailed. It can be very practical. (laughs) Uh, How so? The difficulty sometimes is in sections like Leviticus or Numbers. The details often, as I said, in the genealogies, but it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort. The stories are easy. There's a lot of narrative. There's beautiful poems and songs, and it can be very practical, right? Especially when we look at the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the prayers in the book of Psalms. And overall, as we consider the title of this uh, book of the month, it's worth the effort because the Old Testament is the Bible of Jesus and Paul and the apostles. And it is from the Old Testament that they get their words, their vocabulary, their thought patterns, their theology, their worldview. So to cut short the Old Testament is to cut short the New Testament. You might ask uh, Old Testament people like me, why do you spend so much time on the Old Testament? The answer is very simple. The best commentary on the New Testament is the Old Testament. You want to understand Jesus, Paul, the apostles, the gospel, the rich theology, and the great hope of the New Testament. You start in Genesis 1, verse 1, and work your way all the way through the fourth chapter of Malachi. How do the four Gospels display a messianic emphasis? If we use the term 
narrowly messianic, then we're looking at the word Christ. The term Christ is a Greek term, which is a translation of the Hebrew term. Now, the Hebrew term sounds like this, Mashiach, Messiah, it means anointed one. And Christ is also the same meaning, the anointed one. And so these are synonymous terms, finally. One is Hebrew, Messiah, and one is Greek, Christ. So if we simply use the term Christ, then we see Matthew 1 verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, the son of David, which picks up this idea of the Messiah who's after the house and lineage of David. Mark begins, Mark 1 verse 1, also with the term Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Luke, in his first chapter, uses the term David three times. And of course, in his beloved nativity narrative in Luke chapter 2, he tells us that uh, Joseph is of the house and lineage of David, thus indicating in Luke chapter 2, 11, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. John, for his part, tells us that the reason he wrote his gospel in John 20, verse 31, is so that people believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. All of which is to say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not only displaying a messianic emphasis, but perhaps we might even say a messianic saturation. And they drink deeply from a number of places in the Old Testament to tell us about Jesus. How do we find that emphasis in the rest of the New Testament? If we turn to the book of Acts, uh, then we see a, a number of places where early Christian proclaimers are announcing that Jesus is the long-awaited anointed one after the house and lineage of David. Perhaps the most famous sermon in the book of Acts would be the sermon that Peter preaches on Pentecost, and he's going to speak messianically using Psalm 110 and Psalm 16, and both of these are going to tell us something more about Jesus from Psalm 110, that Jesus is David's son and David's Lord, and Psalm 16 teaches us that God will not let his Holy One see decay. That Holy One would be the Messiah, Jesus. The book of Acts then goes on. One of its favorite Old Testament messianic psalms, in addition to 16 and 110, would be Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Acts, especially the early chapters, are going to be saturated with Old Testament promises, prophecies, and patterns that we see throughout Genesis through Malachi. If we move then rather quickly to uh, Paul's letters, if we would take the, the primary Pauline letter, most would probably say that is Romans, he talks about the gospel in Romans 1 verse 1, then he says this gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was spoken beforehand, this is Romans 1 verse 2, in the holy prophets. And maybe just rounding out this uh, very cursory look at messianic usage in the New Testament, 
The book of Revelation employs the word Christ, again, Messiah, anointed one, for Jesus. No surprise here, a total of seven times. Given the importance of the number seven in Revelation, John presents Jesus as the, the perfect Messiah. You divide these manifestations of Jesus in the Old Testament into three categories, predictions, patterns, and the presence of the Messiah in the Old Testament. What are Messianic predictions? Right, predictions are what most people who are familiar with the Old Testament uh, automatically think of. In our book, we use the expression winged words, words that take flight and travel great distance, and then they they land, they land. Uh, so predictions are like that. Certainly in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the, the wounded victor is a prediction, and a prediction, the way we're defining it in our book, means that it doesn't have any fulfillment in the Old Testament. It goes straight to Jesus. Sometimes uh, people use the term rectilinear, which is recta, right, uh, and linear line. It's just a, a right. It's a straight line. It's a wing word, right to Jesus. Uh, another couple examples, we've got Zechariah 9, verse 9, which is a prediction of Christ riding in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in a donkey. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem of Ephrathah. These are the kinds of biblical texts that children's Christmas programs are built upon. They're beautiful. They show us that the Holy Spirit is the final author of Holy Scripture, and these uh, predictions are quite often easy to understand and see because they're then quoted in the New Testament, almost word for word. What are Messianic patterns? The patterns then, to differentiate that from the predictions, as I said, the predictions, rectilinear, straight line, winged words, they kind of fly over the rest of the Old Testament. But the patterns are going to, if we're going to use this metaphor still of maybe a flight, this is a, a flight in which you're going to go from Minneapolis to Baltimore, and you have to land first in Chicago and then Detroit and then Newark, and then finally you're in Baltimore. So that's the way patterns go. A good example would be in uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, where we have the blood of the Passover lamb saving uh, Israel from the 10th plague, the angel of death. And for the rest of the Old Testament, at least off and on, Israelites are going to celebrate the Passover. And this Passover lamb through his shed blood, is going to protect them, announce Exodus gospel promises to them. So it's going to have a number of uh, touchdowns from, as I said, Minneapolis, Chicago, Detroit, Newark, and then we get to Baltimore. And then finally, these patterns are going to be fulfilled in Christ Jesus, who, for example, in John one twenty nine is the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Digging just slightly a little bit deeper, there are three kinds of patterns of Jesus in the Old Testament. I use the pattern that is often called an ordinance or a rite, 
I-T-E. And so the ceremony of the Passover lamb, beginning in Exodus 12, is going to find its fulfillment in Jesus. So you have people also, uh, not just ceremonies are going to be patterns, but people are going to be patterns, like Moses, right? Moses is a great savior. Uh, Jesus, all the more, is uh, the greatest savior. So you have three types of patterns, uh, people, events, and institutions. So I've talked about people and institutions, Moses and the Passover. An event would be, if we just stay in the book of Exodus, the Exodus itself, Israel coming out of Egypt as on dry land through the Red Sea. Jesus then, when he describes in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, what's going on on the Mount of Transfiguration, he uses the word exodus, exodus. So what Jesus is going to do will be a greater exodus. He will lead people out of the bondage of sin, death, the devil, and Satan. In all of these patterns, whether people, events, or institutions, the operative adjectives in the New Testament are always better and greater, better and greater. Jesus is a, a better Moses. Jesus is a greater temple. Jesus says, for example, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, the one greater than Jonah is here. So it's not a flat line. Predictions are a bit more of a flat line, nonstop flight. Uh, there's really no advance in what's going on in the predictions, but the patterns always advance. You might, switching metaphors a little bit, say that the patterns are maybe silver and gold in the Old Testament. They're, they're great and precious promises. That's what Peter talks about in Second Peter chapter 1. But then in the New Testament, these patterns become platinum. They are fulfilled. So that's the operative word in the New Testament, fulfilled often with both the predictions and the patterns. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. It's part one of a series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. We'll talk about the Messianic presence in the Old Testament next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with The Gospel Comes to Corinth, Persecution in Corinth, Paul Returns to Antioch, Apollos, and Two Years in Ephesus. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. Hope Lutheran Church in West Jordan, Utah is a congregation that embraces the doctrinal and liturgical heritage of the Reformation. If you're coming to Utah to ski in the best snow on earth, or if you're coming here to see the wonders of God's creation in our national parks, or if you call the Salt Lake Valley your home, we would love to have you join us for Bible class and Sunday school at 930 and the Divine Service at 1030. 
We also offer a midweek service Wednesday nights at 7. You can find us online at westjordanlutherans.org. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Augsburg Lutheran, Shawnee, Kansas. Emmanuel Lutheran, Dearborn, Michigan. Grace Lutheran, Elgin, Texas. Emmanuel Lutheran, Hamilton, Ohio. Messiah Lutheran, Lebanon, Illinois. Our Savior Lutheran, Winchester, Virginia. Redeemer Lutheran, Scottsdale, Arizona. St. John Lutheran, Ray, Michigan. St. Paul Lutheran, Parkersburg, West Virginia. And Trinity Lutheran, San Bernardino, California. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. Part one of our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament with Dr. Reed Lessing. He's co-author of the Issues Etc., Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. The Lutheran Church Missouri Senate is looking for pastors to serve as military chaplains. Find out about this unique opportunity at lcms.org slash armed forces. Serving those who serve, LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. We've talked about the predictions and the patterns. How do we find the messianic presence in the Old Testament? Yeah, so a lot of Christians who read their Bible normally and regularly and and attend church, they can pick the predictions. And probably if they are trained, uh, perhaps even pastors remember learning about typology. That's another word for patterns. Sometimes, though, the presence of the Messiah in the Old Testament isn't perhaps understood or taught or embraced the way the New Testament embraces it. There are at least two ways to see the Messiah's presence in the Old Testament. The chief would be the Lord's messenger, confusingly often translated the angel of the Lord, uh, appearing 67 times in the Old Testament by that name. An angel there is best understood, many of our listeners know, as messenger. The Hebrew word there is malach. So he's a messenger of Yahweh. And he first appears in Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, to Hagar. And he's going to appear throughout the rest of the Old Testament. So how do we navigate who this person is? A wonderful way to use a uh, New Testament verse in John chapter 14, verse 9, 
Jesus says in the upper room, John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, that's one of the great teachings of the fourth gospel. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the only begotten one, who's at the Father's side, has made him known. That only begotten God, <laughs> the Son, makes the Father known. So the Moloch, the messenger, sometimes you know, angel of the Lord, when you see him, you see the Father. Just as you, in the New Testament, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus uh, exegetes the Father, to use that Greek term in John 1, 18. Uh, just so the messenger of the Lord exegetes, explains, illuminates who God really is. So any number of places in the Old Testament where this messenger shows up, people end up calling him God. <laughs> and he's not always called the messenger. There are some places, a cameo appearance in Genesis chapter 32 is where Jacob wrestles with the man. And then he says the next morning after this all night wrestling match that I saw God face to face. And he actually calls the place, of course, Penny Ale, which in Hebrew means face of God. All of which is to say that when you see the messenger who sometimes appears as a man, <laughs> what we use in our book, we say that he appears in the form of a man in the Old Testament, and then he appears in the flesh of a man in the New Testament. I find that somewhat helpful to kind of get our mind around what's going on with this messenger. So when we see the messenger in the Old Testament, we see the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity. And this is not a Lessing-Steinman new twist on things. This is not a, a Reformation discovery. This goes back to the early church fathers. This is how they interpreted the messenger of the Lord. The second way we see the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament would be through God's glory, God's glory. Glory is always visible in the Bible, just the word kavod in Hebrew or doxa in Greek. Uh, sometimes we might hear people say, I felt the glory. They never say that in the Bible. They would see the glory. The glory of God is visible, and it's visible primarily through this pillar of cloud by day. And the glory fills the tabernacle at the end of Exodus 40, fills Solomon's temple in 1 Kings 8. And this is the very presence of God that people saw. They didn't feel it. They saw it. And so then you turn to John 1.14, one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. I love this as well as uh, any number of our listeners do. The word became flesh and tabernacled. There's a pattern, right? Jesus is a pattern of the tabernacle. And we have seen his glory. So the word became flesh and tabernacle. We saw his glory. When you read the word glory in the Old Testament, quite often, this is going to be the very presence of Jesus as the pre-incarnate second person of the Holy Trinity. What is the Messianic message in the Old Testament? The Messianic message is perhaps we could boil it down to a twofold message. And it really comes already in the first prediction 
in the so-called Proto-Evangelium. There's the Latin word for the day, the first gospel, uh, that this offspring of a woman is going to be the wounded victor, wounded victor. So he's going to be victorious. He's going to be a Davidic king. He's going to slay all the Goliaths in our lives, right? The sin, death, and devils, no doubt about it. He's victorious on the third day. But he's also wounded, wounded, which takes us to texts like Isaiah's uh, Suffering Servant songs, especially 52.13 through 53.12. It takes us to texts like Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, where uh, God says, this is how the text reads, Zechariah 12.10, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. So the Messianic message begins right there in the third chapter of the book. He's the wounded victor for the sake of the world. Talk about that message in the Old Testament Psalms. The book of Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. And why is that? Primarily because of the New Testament's fascination with Psalm 110. Martin Luther called this the chief psalm of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, because Psalm 110 announces that Jesus is Davidic, right? I talked about this uh, very quickly when we're talking about Peter's Pentecost sermon. He's Davidic, he's David's son, and he's David's Lord, and he sits at the Father's right hand. And especially the book of Hebrews loves this psalm because it ties the Davidic connection between Christ and Israel's most famous king. And of course, Psalm 110 verse 4, he's also a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And as priest, uh, he this great hymn that we sing quite often during Holy Communion has the lyrics, himself the victim, himself the priest. So Melchizedekian priesthood of Jesus is not only that he offers the sacrifice, he himself is the sacrifice. So Psalm 110, if you're going to talk Messiah language in the Psalter, that's the most famous, that's the most profound. And it is, as I said, going to be not only in the epistle to the Hebrews, but in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, During Holy Week, Jesus uses Psalm 110, verse 1, to confound his Jewish enemies. That said, a close second, a very close second, would be Psalm 2, especially verse 7, which says, You are my son. Today I have become your father. So let's just pause here and try and put a little bit of what I'm talking about together in terms of what happens when Jesus is baptized. We'll just take, for example, Matthew 3, verse 17, where the Father speaks after Jesus is baptized by John the Jordan River. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, this whole idea of this is my Son comes right from Psalm 2, verse 7. The beloved adjective fronting The word son comes from a pattern that we see in Genesis chapter 22, 
where Isaac is the beloved son of sacrifice, and then in whom I'm well pleased, the baptismal declaration of the Father comes right from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. So right there, layered upon layered, would be who Jesus is. He's certainly the son of sacrifice, beloved. He's the Davidic king installed, as we have in Psalm 2, verse 7. And of course, he's the suffering servant in whom I am well pleased, which takes us into Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and then, as I said, 52, 13 through 53, 12. One more psalm that we could talk about in addition to Psalm 16, which I already spoke to, would be Psalm 22, which certainly the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Which takes us into the whole genre of Old Testament laments. I'm actually writing a commentary for Concordia Publishing House now on the Book of Lamentations, so I'm kind of neck deep in all of this. But among other things, when we're looking at the Messiah's picture, the book of Psalms paints for us, we also see a Messiah, the Messiah, who demonstrates solidarity with suffering people, abandoned people, uh, lamenting people. And of course, we know Jesus is going to lament and be abandoned and forsaken in similar ways as we sometimes feel and are, but also quite differently, because this is an utter abandonment by the Father, an utter forsakenness. He who had no sin became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So Jesus knows the ultimate, the mind-boggling abandonment of the Father, all for us, so that the Hebrew writer can say in Hebrews 13, 5, never will God leave us, never will he abandon us. So there's a wonderful comfort in Psalm 22, verse 1. There's profound theology there because he who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might be declared righteous before the Father. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest. It's part one of our series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. When we come back, he calls Isaiah the biographer of the Messiah. We'll find out what he means by that next. Issues Etc. regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is, For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ Alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to our beloved on-demand listeners, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality. You can help us climb the charts by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find issues, etc. Help us cast Christ's net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Finding Jesus in the Old Testament with Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc., Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. Dr. Lessing, you call Isaiah the biographer of the Messiah. What do you mean by that? Well, <laughs> yeah, I, and I can't help but chuckle because I've spent a, a fair amount of my adult life studying Isaiah, writing about Isaiah, preaching and teaching about Isaiah. And certainly it was Jerome who first coined the idea that Isaiah is the fifth evangelist. Ambrose told Augustine, once Augustine was converted to Christianity, Ambrose told Augustine to read the book of the prophet Isaiah. Most of us revel in the clarity of Isaiah's messianic message, not only through predictions, but we have a few patterns and and we have the presence of Christ in Isaiah as well. What specific predictions do we find in Isaiah? Sure, these are the predictions that we have come to know and love. And I, I might confess it's easy to let 
some of these well-known predictions just kind of roll off our minds and lives and hearts, you know, like, well, yeah, I, I got that. So what else is new? But if we can approach Isaiah with childlike wonder and amazement at what he's actually claiming, Emmanuel, right, in Isaiah 7, 14, God <laughs> with us. And of course, this is going to frame Matthew's gospel. Matthew 121, right? He's going to quote this in Jesus. It's going to be right in the middle of Matthew's gospel where two or three are gathered, Jesus says in Matthew 18, there I am, and lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, the last verse in Matthew. So to understand what Matthew is driving toward is to go back to this wonderful prediction in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Then, of course, we've got the wonderful <laughs> counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, which uh, we could unpack that. It would uh, probably take us, right, three or four hours to unpack what it means that Jesus is a wonderful counselor, and he is mighty God, <laughs> and through him we see the everlasting Father. There we go back to that verse I talked about in John 14, verse 9. And he's the Sar Shalom. He's the Prince of Peace. Shalom doesn't mean the absence of warfare. It means that God puts broken lives, broken hearts, the broken creation back together again. Of course, Handel's Messiah has made a number of these predictions so memorable for us through his uh, gift of music. Probably, right, if we go to maybe the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, the Four Servant Song is certainly the high watermark of Isaiah. One could argue that it's the high watermark of the Old Testament. And this is the third time in this interview I'm, <laughs> I'm telling our listeners, that this Four Servant Song begins in 5213. Quite often in jargon, we say, oh, Isaiah 53, and then we start in verse 1, and we miss what Isaiah is saying here. The Four Servant Song begins in 5213. And there, God says, my servant is uh, raised and lifted up and highly exalted. So we, we have the exaltation and then we go right the next verse, 52, verse 14. We have the humiliation like we could never imagine. And then we have the exaltation at the end of chapter 53. So there you have really the wounded victor. And there you have the, the real deep and profound Christology of the New Testament. Certainly Paul in Philippians 2, 6 through 11 is simply putting the name of Jesus on Isaiah's fourth servant song. So there would be uh, several specific predictions. There are more, but that is a bit of the highlights of Isaiah's predictions. With just a few minutes here, why are Isaiah's names for the Messiah important? The names are important for any number of reasons, and I've talked about a couple of them already. But diving into another name for the Messiah, maybe one that isn't as readily known, would be the term branch, branch. And we have this term for the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. 
And then a similar word for branch or sprout comes in 11 verse 1, which indicates that the messianic origins are going to be small and insignificant. And think Bethlehem and think manger, think Nazareth, see, small, insignificant, shoot, a branch, something that is is just kind of starting its growth out of the ground. And then we have the the same idea, different word, but same idea in the Four Servant Song of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 2, where it says that he, that is Jesus, grew up before him, the Father, and he was like a root out of dry ground. So what this name does, this small little growth coming out of the ground, is it connects these promises to the house of David in Isaiah 4 and Isaiah 11, with the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Now, how important is that? Well, this is why this is important, because in first century Palestine, there were at least 90, that's right, nine zero different Jewish movements. But there's only one of these Jewish movements that connected the Davidic deliverer of roughly Isaiah 1 to 39, with the suffering servant, 40 to 66. And they did it through word connections and titles like this. And who was this uh, Messianic Jewish movement that said that the Davidic deliverer is in the one and the same person, the suffering servant? Well, initially, publicly, this movement is called the way, Acts 9 verse 2. And we know them later on in Acts 11 by the name Christian. This is the message of who Jesus is. He's the Davidic king of Isaiah 1 to 39, and he's the suffering servant come to bleed and die for the sin of the world in Isaiah 40, 66. Dr. Reed Lessing is professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. He's co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. You can purchase this new book at our website, issuesetc.org, or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Dr. Lessing, thanks. Always a pleasure, Todd. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the vocation of police officer with former police officer, Pastor Paul Norris, And we'll continue our series, Kids Have Questions, talking with Pastor Jonathan Connor about death and dying and sexuality and identity. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. 
For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website, withangelsandarchangels.org. Hi, this is Pastor Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church of Mascuda, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion is a congregation firmly grounded in God's grace given in the Word and Sacraments where we treasure the timeless beauty of the liturgy. Zion is also a vibrant, young, family-friendly congregation where you would be warmly welcomed. Zion is located at 101 South Railway Street in Mascuda, Illinois, and we would love to share God's gifts of grace with you. For more information, please visit our website at zionmascuda.com. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Do you dread going to work out? Performance Fitness in Edwardsville offers a fun, supportive, tight-knit community and environment. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. 618-692-5063 618-692-5063 or performancefitness618.com. Performance Fitness of Edwardsville. 